Today, I'm excited to chat with Hotel Mira, fresh off their release of their record, I Am Not Myself. We chat about their success at Canadian radio, how they approach their wildly entertaining live show, and what made their top songs the successes they are. Enjoy. All right. Well, killer. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining, fellas. Um, uh, I guess to introduce you guys, we got Charlie and Mike from fellow Vancouver band Hotel Mira. And yeah, the, the kind of the idea of this podcast was to kind of talk about like all things music industry, but from the artist perspective, um, because one thing I feel like I've learned over the years is that artists don't seem to share enough learning lessons with one another. Um, oh, and I yeah. feel... I feel in an industry as challenging as this one, I feel like we just can't share enough uh, information with one another. Uh, it's just such a such a grind and a challenge. Um, and hopefully, yeah, we can we can learn some ideas from each other and also pick up a, a few new fans, kind of each in in the process. So, that was, yeah. uh, I, I would I would agree. Um, there's a great deal of uh, um, gatekeeping. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. Do you guys find like uh, so? You just put out a new record. Congratulations! I know Thank that's you. a that's a very nerve wracking feeling, or at least it is for uh, for me. Anytime you do that, uh, what what's the the feeling in the band? Are are you excited? It's out in the world. Are you are do you comb Spotify data to to see how things are doing on the day to day? Are you like you know what? That's that's not our uh, that's not our vibe. We just we make great art and 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 see what happens. I'd like. For for me personally, I'd like it to be the latter, but I know it's definitely the former. Where uh, you know, just, just seeing how the analytics are going and stuff like that. Um, in terms of the album release itself, I I am very happy it is out. Uh, it uh, we we sat on it for a little while longer than I would have liked, but I'm glad it's out in the world, and I'm glad the reception to it is uh, generally quite good. It seems. Uh, have you guys found that like through the years, um, have you? picked up new fans as you've tried to work on um, different records and have you lost fans along the way from other things that you have tried? Is that something that you guys have noticed much of? And does it, I guess, does it factor into your decision making and how you would approach recording an album? Just from my point of view, uh, my favorite acts are the ones that keep people uh guessing i i just sort of have a bug in my brain that says i don't want to do the same thing more than once mm -hmm. uh making the same record over and over again is something that doesn't interest me and you know it, and i think luckily our fan base for the most part has just been excited to go along for the ride essentially like my my creative North Star is to just always just make things from the heart and try not to repeat yourself. And um, I had a producer once say, don't be afraid to lose um, a thousand fans to gain 50,000. Sage advice. It's, it's, it's valid for sure. And, um, and I think this whole experiment of being in a band or, or being an artist or being a musician um, is just a richer experience when you um, are taking risks the entire time. Um, and, and a lot of, a lot of what we've done um, sort of some of the most successful stuff that we've done 
um, on paper is career suicide. <laughs> so, um, so that's sort of like one of my favorite juxtapositions in, in, uh, in this industry is just, um, the, some people will come along and sort of say, this is the surefire way to succeed. You need to do this, this, and this. Have you experienced a lot of that? People trying to give you direction and kind of tell you what they think you should do? I'd say less from industry professionals and more from drunken family members. But yeah. (laughs) Equally interesting perspectives, probably. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's like my friend wanted to be a professional wrestler. Um, He wanted to be in the WWE and he'd, you know, he dedicated his whole life to it. And he'd meet up with people and he'd let them know that. And they'd be like, well, the thing is, you got to have a gimmick. And he'd be like, oh, thank you. I have to have a gimmick. Wow. Like, and sometimes it can feel that way in music where people are like, well, what you need to do is, uh, you know, get your song in a huge movie. Yeah. And it's like, like, wow, I never would have thought of that. Good advice. Do you guys think, okay, a couple questions, speaking more specifically about um, albums. Do you, how do you go about picking a producer? Well, that's a funny question for us <laughs> yeah. because our last record had six, six of producers. Wait, were they mostly local or were they all yeah, over? Because of the lockdown, uh, we were sort of forced to. So, and you're talking about I Am Not Myself right now. Yes. In yeah. the last yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, for perfectionism, we kind of wanted to make like a bit of an intentional pop, poppier pivot. Uh, so, we kind of reached, like, looked out to like what producers uh that produce art like bands that we love their records for and stuff like that so uh eric ratz for perfectionism did a bunch of the billy talent records which we were like obsessed with and um he was done a lot of a lot of arkell stuff too right yeah 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 and like you know when you're you're trying to get some canadian radio it's not a not the worst uh or canadian grant money yeah let me step in here and say that it's more like he was chosen for us. Yeah. We didn't we didn't we didn't really have a say in the matter of of who produced that record which all became a blessing because And was was that a label decision because they were funding it? Yeah, it it, it was sort of like we they knew the direction we wanted. We did two tester songs with Eric being Jungle and This Could Be It for Me. Um and they were great so we're like well this does make sense but like in in and as much as the same conversation it could have just completely tanked it just so happened that it didn't um with i am not myself due to the nature of uh the pandemic and the lockdown we kind of didn't have the opportunity to just like be somewhere with one person for like t- two weeks to three weeks that you normally would just bang out an album with so we actually did it over the course of like two years with like six different people like as songs came up we would kind of like honestly like draft them off to producers that we had like uh in mind or we had worked with or wanted to do like one or two songs with and then from there we just kind of uh put the album together we we did we did have a conscious effort to say we want it mixed by the same one person being tony hoffer uh because we wanted to have that glue to it Mm -hmm. but uh yeah, that's do you guys the- do uh, do you do a lot of demoing, or are you guys more like you'll write songs acoustically and let the producer uh, just hear the song at its core? We do a lot of demoing. Um, it is quite rare that 
a song will just like be pro- like just produced from the ground up from an acoustic demo. Like there's there there are situations where a producer we worked with helped write the song. So it's just kind of just seeing the vision through. But like we rarely have like Charlie will rarely have an acoustic demo that the band hasn't had any like sort of input into and go to a producer and be like, what should this sound like? Like we always have like a bit of a vision for it. I would and is say. That, is it the type of thing that you guys, cause you, you live in different cities now, right? Mm-hmm. So and are you like when a song gets, uh, uh, initially kind of written, is it the type of thing that you guys are sending it around to each other and you're all kind of trying to hear a direction for it? Or is it like you wait until you're in a room together, you're plugging in, you're trying to figure out the kind of the North star of the song. Yeah, we, we've done both. Uh, Charlie is like we're we're really productive when Charlie is in Vancouver. Uh so that's usually like so we're we're thumbing around with like our next next record and I think it's mostly written from the time that we got off tour and Charlie just had a couple like an extra two and a half weeks in Vancouver and we just like banged out 10 songs that I think are like incredible. Um in terms of like, like if Charlie wrote something amazing tomorrow, he'd probably send us a demo and we'd like rework it and reimagine it. Gotcha. Uh, but we actually haven't had too much of like uh, the the different city thing as an issue, if that makes sense. Lockdown sort of um, created a framework of really how often do we actually have to be um, uh, in the same room. Like, and, and the truth is like, or the same city or what have you, like, it's actually a lot less than you'd think. Mm-hmm. Like a group chat, mo- most of what could get settled, um, whatever could get settled in a group chat or an email. And then when we do um, meet up, it's really focused, uh, exactly. which it, like, I don't think I would have like envisioned that, but, um, but I think it works better i agree cool um and do you guys um do you kind of have to what roles do you guys have to do in the band say outside of music uh versus like call it uh if you're looking through analytics or you're trying to write a grant or you're managing your social media or making content or music videos or marketing plans uh how much of that do you guys have to do as band members versus either uh you have a manager i i guess um and 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 or label how much of that comes from them versus how much uh is that you guys and kind of wearing your other hat outside of music so charlie's a socials guy 100 percent uh i i i do a lot like i think i heard the other day that um no one's gonna care about your career as much as you do it's like sort of a um maybe there's like a harshness to that saying, but it also sort of gives you, um, again, like a framework or a layout of how, um, there's just no one who, uh, will be able to approach this stuff with the same, uh, passion, um, as, as, as you do. So if, if, balls are getting dropped or whatever um or if you have like a vision for the thing it's uh it might just be something that you have to take on yourself um and and people can you know help out 
in in the ways that they're um, supposed to. But you know, all of us are are only human, and I think you understand this. Uh, um, uh, very well. Like um, that sort of uh, grunt work that that goes on in between. Uh, moments of glamour or glory is sort of what's um, taken us further than the average bands. Like for sure, luck as well. For sure, uh, good songwriting, etc. But uh, being able to sort of do what other people avoid uh, is is a superpower. Totally. I remember, I think Mr. Brett from Bad Religion and Epitaph said the, the greatest thing a band can do is not give up or not not disband. Honestly. Because uh, along the way, it's just, it, it becomes so hard. Like, uh, you have so many emotional ups and downs and something you're extremely excited about. It might not perform to the degree that something else did. And having to just be like, you know what? Okay, that's that's fine. It's okay. We got to just keep trucking along and, and try to make the best thing next uh, and, and just try to keep a, a lighthearted spirit about it. I think for a lot of people, that's that's very, very, very challenging to do for a long period of time. It sounds simple, but it's, it's the only uh, through line or commonality between the people who, uh, ha, you know, have taken this um, really far. It's, it's the people who never gave up. Yeah, and like I, that's that's one of the things I genuinely love about Hotel Mira. Like we are seasoned, you know. Like like we have come from other projects that have like fizzled out, and like we gave it our all in those projects as well. And we've just all come together into this, and we're like like we're we're experienced at touring. Like we're genuinely like four best friends, and we don't actually like you know all that stuff. It's like all the stuff that you experience on your first real tour where like okay this band member actually is like really hard to be around Mm -hmm. uh for an extended period like all of that has like completely been like washed out it's just like we are in it that's awesome yeah you're you're a unit you have synergy and being lifers to this thing um we just don't take a lot for granted um and so there isn't a sort of a lot of nonsense in in the way that uh, there can be if if you think that um, these things are just sort of uh, um, you're entitled to them. Um, so you know, as as different benchmarks come along in our career, um, we're we're stoked because we know what it's like to have that not happen um and it's uh so you know a couple uh pinch me moments that we've had sort of in the last couple of years um you know it comes from playing semicircles of people who don't care you know if you do that enough uh when when people do care and they're coming out in droves and they're extremely passionate uh i just think that there's a different energy to um to a band that has uh um had incremental success what were a couple of those kind of pinch me moments and why were they pinch me moments 
Um, for me, yeah, for me playing like the the Mercury Lounge in New York, um, and Super having it be, yeah, being packed, New York in particular because I studied acting there, and as a teenager, and I was like, oh my god, like this is the coolest city ever. Everything that's going on here is so sick. Like I'm so excited to just be um an audience member for all this stuff and then in the back of my mind i was like how cool would it be if one day i was i was like the coming attraction like i was the thing that people were seeing um in new york yeah line up around the block in new york was crazy yeah i for me like pacific coliseum in vancouver was really cool it kind of like it's kind of just like nice putting a stamp on like okay you like this is where you grew up and you did it like mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, that was sweet. And like, we have a couple other things that coming up that I'm excited about. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to divulge them because they're still behind closed doors, but there's definitely one show coming up that I'm like quite stoked on. So uh, how, like, for example, for you guys to pack a house, say at Mercury lounge, was that um, like when you put a tour on in America, uh, I know for us, uh, when we, yeah, being a Canadian band, there's, you know, there's obviously kind of the trope of so many Canadian bands can fill very large rooms here, but as soon as they cross the border, they can't pack 200 people into a club. Um, was that something that when you guys, and I assume your booking agent, when you put that tour on, did you have any idea uh, in terms of what ticket sales would be? Or how did you gauge that? Were you totally kind of rolling the dice on it? Or it played out? Like, did you expect uh, New York to sell out or come close to selling out or or not at all? It was kind of rolling it, rolling the dice in like a very calculated way, if that makes sense. Like a lot of, like we have had a very, very vocal amount of people message us being like, come to XYZ City in America. And that was kind of, and like when when you say stuff like, 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 you know, the Canadian band trap, it's a very real thing. And like, we are working so consciously and so like, it is like a goal of ours just to like never fall into that trap. And I honestly think we've like done very well at avoiding that because like our shows in America are like great knock on wood. Um, so when it came to those shows in the rooms, like when we booked like the Troubadour in LA and like Mercury Lounge in New York and like Black Cat in DC and stuff like that. And like, you know, like, I don't know, I know one person who lives in Washington, D.C., and, like, 400 people showed up on our first time there. And it's, like, stuff like that is, like, really, really special. So when we do those shows, like, with the Mercury Lounge, I, it was kind of, like, I think in my head it'll probably be pretty good. Um, but, like, we didn't have anything that was, like, a hard confirm being, like, this is going to sell out. But it did sell out, so sick. Killer. We were We were bigger in America than we were in Canada. Yeah, for a long time. For, like, maybe to this day, but, like, so I was just always hammering on our team, like, that's where we should be then. Like, um, so I'd been sort of telling uh, our team that I wanted to um, be playing shows in the States just because that's where the fans were for um for years probably like six years and um and uh so it's honestly been more of a more of a interesting transition for me for us to um get big or get bigger i should say in uh in canada 
yeah, it was it was one of those things where like I don't want to say like I think the infrastructure of being a Canadian musician is built to have you succeed in Canada much easier than it is elsewhere. Like like there's this like everyone's paying attention to like what the cool band in the UK is, you know, like if that cool band in the UK comes to Canada, they're going to sell out everywhere in Canada. If that cool band in the UK comes to Australia, they're going to sell out everywhere in Australia. There isn't that effect in Canada, right? Like no one in the UK is trying to find the new hot act out of Canada. And that's unfortunate for us. Like we have to like put in the legwork to be like, no, actually we're worth it. Even though like our, like our country keeps it so, like it's almost like inclusive to itself, which is like, you know, it's good. Like we're playing, you know, we, we can get a Pacific Coliseum gig, which is super sick, obviously. But, totally. you know, sometimes you strive for more than just the country you're from and stuff like that. So um, what about even like uh, this is like kind of a minutia question, but yeah. having to get all of your visas and stuff sorted. Who did that for you? Is that something you had to do yourself or? That was all Charlie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So when he moved to the States, uh, I, I mean, like you did it. I'll let you tell the story, obviously. Yeah, I, I just saw how much, how expensive it was for us to do a short, a short tour of, uh, of the US. Um, and especially when those visas became rush visas, mm-hmm. um, it was just absurd. It was, you know, we, you're entering into America in, you know, x thousand dollars in in debt um so i just did my research and i sort of found out that like me moving to uh america and getting uh an 01 it's a lot of work but it's about it was like sort of the same price as it was for rush visas uh for the for the p2 um for a month long tour. Yeah. Having the visa for three years straight and living here and getting to play any American show we want, um, was the same price. So I, it was, it was, it was practical as much as it was. Um, sorry, the O one uh, covers the entire band, not just yourself personally. So we're on O twos. The yeah. band's on O twos. Okay. The band's yeah. on O twos. I'm on an O one. Gotcha. Yeah, man. Like even things like this are, like the barrier to entry is so high for a, an independent band or something or an artist like to try to have to figure this out, take on the risk of thousands and thousands of dollars when Americans don't have to do that to come play Canada. It's unbelievable. Uh, it's just it's just so prohibitive for any artist to even begin to try to play a show or craft a fan base in the States. It's something that's like you almost need a PhD to be able to figure out how to even book a tour. Yeah, especially with like apparently P2s are going up in Yeah, I heard Austin. that. Yeah. And it's like I'm so grateful that we don't have to worry about that. But even then it's just like how like you just can't like the idea of just like grinding out tours to like build a fan base just doesn't exist for Canadian bands in America because like you're like like Charlie said you're already like at least 5 grand in the hole just after P2s, much less rush P2s and then you're probably getting up to like 8 grand in the hole. At least, yeah. Yeah, so and it's just, it's just like if you're an emerging artist, you're not making that money back. So it's just like, how huge do you have to be to make that work? But then in the same breath, as I just said, like no one's paying attention to the big bands in Canada who uh, elsewhere. So it's just like, how do you get big being in Canada in America? That's worth the cost of paying for the visas 
it's just it's so cyclical. It just makes no yeah, sense. It's, it's crazy. How much of a function does your label and or kind of manager or management play in everything the band does? Uh, <laughs> I, I think the label and management kind of just like they're very good with us in terms of like like it took a little admittedly took a little while to get there, but I think they like finally trust us to like do things. Uh, so it's like basically they kind of facilitate our ideas. And like every now and then they'll suggest anything like what I do like about our, our label and management, which I think isn't found in a lot of like other labels that I've spoken to artists who are on. It's like we basically have like full creative control. Like no one's going to step into a like a recording session and be like, this needs to be more of a hit or anything like that. Like we can kind of do whatever we want. Like if we wanted to make like a like eight songs, 14 minutes each jazz fusion record, like we could. Will we? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe if the indie rock well, market well runs dry. <laughs> but like um, that we do have that kind of freedom, which is quite nice. And so they would essentially like, are they like here, here's a budget that you guys have available for this. Uh, if you want to get grants, go get grants to even supplement it further and do what you want with the cash kind of thing. Or is it like, hey, here's a budget. We manage this. We're booking studios for you, X, Y, and Z. Um, how does that process kind of work? So it's more the latter than the former. We like I've started collaborating with our manager on budgets just to make sure we know what we want and kind of acting as a liaison to being like, OK, like, for example, like when we go on tours like this Australia tour coming up, uh, we've been on tours and our daily per diems were like thirty dollars a day. And now we we had a thing where it's just like we need to bump that up, you know, like the exchange rates crazy. Da, 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 da. Um, and so that gets factored into the budget and stuff like for so it is budget based it's it's a lot less just like lump sum of cash do what you want with it but using your studio reference they won't actually book the studios like if we if we are just like we want to record in abbey road they would be like okay like we'll try our best to make that happen you know they, they won't force us out of anything like we like for this next next record we've been talking to a couple producers and we've been getting some budgets and we got one back that was like okay like we are definitely priced out of this mm -hmm. but there was like some talk about being like if you guys do want to go with this like we can make this work kind of thing so like there is that freedom um and, but i do think that freedom also comes at the not the cost of but comes from the um what's the word i'm looking for our track record of being good you know Gotcha. Um, okay, so next, I guess, kind of next questions. So songs that really like popped off for you guys, like Speaking oh. Off the Record, Jungle, Southern Comforting. Did you guys have an idea like when you made those songs that you were like, hey, these are going to absolutely be our focus tracks? Or did somebody say, hey, guys, I feel like these ones are special? Uh, or how did that process really work? It's all organic. It's pretty wild. I'll let Charlie take this, but I have something to say after, which is like, anyway, so go ahead. Uh, I thought Jungle was the best song I'd yeah. ever written. Yeah, um, I, that that I one was like okay. People talk about go write a hit. Um, that was the only time I felt like this song. Um, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> yeah, works works from like multiple angles, and then uh, and then there wasn't a big hubbub about it. Uh, I I I've sort of um come to the conclusion that a lot of the songs uh that people love that that um come from this band uh 
aren't necessarily songs that you hear the first time and go, this is an amazing song. I, I think I write songs that grow on people and that that can seem confusing, uh, uh, I think. Um, but I mean, Southern Comforting is a great example. Uh, I wrote that like several years ago and it's it's more popular now than it was then. The, so, the junk- uh, and then and then speaking off the record, like that song is ultimately sarcastic. Like you're singing to the masses was something I, I was making fun of myself because I thought Sorry, I'd yeah. sing it to so many twelve person semicircles. It was a tongue in cheek lyric. And then it took on this other thing when it became one of our bigger songs. I I needed to get that song out of me for personal reasons. Like I'd wanted to write a song like that for about seven years and something kept stopping me. So that's why I called it speaking off the record. Cause it's all these things that I never thought I'd say, let alone sing publicly. Um, and I was like, okay, best case scenario with this song. Um, it'll be a couple people's cult fave because again, musically it doesn't really have a chorus. Um, it's a bit of a swerve for us in terms of like the it's way like it's Sonic. presented. Uh, and not a lot gets repeated. It, it's this it's this quick, <laughs> weird uh, sort of uh, ride through my psyche and then a very dark ending note and then it's over. Mm-hmm. Um but I think the push and pull of the emotions and uh, the vulnerability in it is, is I guess, what makes people um, so stoked about it. But it, that song is so special to me in terms of how I really was rewarded for, for putting myself out there. Um, Probably a good, good lesson to be learned in that. The vulnerability yeah, is what people connect with. In a way that I thought was going to be... Um, even punished. I thought there were people that I talk about in that song. I thought I was going to get weird phone calls being like, yeah, I didn't go down like that. You're crazy, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so it's, that's usually my favorite part of every hotel mirror show is playing that song and sort of shifting the narrative, um, on some of the worst times in my life because I'm getting to, cathartically experience it with hundreds of people being like, Hey, yeah, I've had those thoughts too. Um, so, uh, but it, it, that, that, but it growing to that was completely, uh, organic. There's I don't no, think- no catalyst to growth. You have no rhyme or reason for those no. songs being standouts on Spotify or did you see one day? It was no, no. TikTok. It was no anything. Yeah. No, they little, did, no, they did have radio bit. support in Canada. Correct. No, they didn't. Not Jungle or Speaking didn't. Oh, this could uh, be it for me. That was the one that had this, that had. Yeah. That, that was my that was my fun little anecdote. Where this could be it for me was the B side in the Jungle sessions. We're just like, oh, we have like an extra couple days. Let's hammer out this other song we've been working on. And so, who and, chose that as kind of the radio single? So we initially went to radio with Jungle, 
when we were like pretty early on yeah. um and we just like never it didn't hit i guess like you know you know how radio is things are weird like we hadn't established anything and then and we you had a radio the- like a radio promo kind of team or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. and did you send them the songs and they said we think this one or you were like no we want to go with jungle so jungle jungle was finished we wanted to go with jungle okay um this could be it for me i had a still couple things to iron out but when that one was finished we went back to radio with it because we had announced perfectionism as the record uh and it just hit and like to this day it's been our most successful song in terms of radio charting like it got to and when you mean four. when you mean it just hit was it like several canadian alt stations added it at once or was it yeah. like sonic supported it first and then other ones kind of domino effect it was Alberta first, and then it just kind of dominated. And I remember trying to get airplay in Vancouver and Toronto, as I'm sure you've experienced as well, despite being from Vancouver. It's kind of, at the time, it was very, very tough. Uh, that, was the, that was the peak then, right? It was the peak at the time, yeah. But yeah. Right now, gratefully, they're like big Sonic. is now like yeah, big Sonic's Sonic. awesome. They're, yeah, I, yeah. I, I really, uh, really like the team over there. Yeah, but with this could be it for me. It was kind of like like I couldn't believe it was happening. You know, like we got to number four in Canada, which was like kind of unreal. Nuts. And that must be somewhat of a pinch me moment too. You're it like, was. It was. I definitely remember waking up every Monday morning checking the charts neurotically to make sure we had like gone up. And like that, that's that's come out of me now. Like it's also, with- I also find radio holds this really interesting piece of uh, like. Um, like what people's perspective of it is like you could have a song that absolutely smashes it and you see all these whatever hundreds of thousands or millions of streams on spotify but you get like three spins on radio and you're getting calls from like your old neighbor and oh, whatever. Yeah. Like, oh my god you're yeah. on the radio you've like totally made it like yeah it's it really makes funny. my dad really proud but uh but yeah like even the correlation to like you know jungle and speaking being our biggest streaming songs versus like what's charted like successfully like that even that ratio is off you know and it's like like are like all the singles that have charted on radio like do fine streaming but if they it's just it, it feels like it's two different worlds which is like very very interesting and like you know obviously I, tough to navigate as musicians i'd given up on radio success i really was just like okay you want to bring these songs to radio go for it like these these songs came from the heart just like just like other songs did. But I was really like, it's never worked before. Why would it work now? Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought we weren't that kind of band. Um, and I still kind of think that it's still very like strange to me. Um, yeah. that have that you found that you've, you've, uh, there's like, I know this is a hard one to quantify, but have you found that you've made a lot more fans or is that translated at all to ticket sales in Canada uh, being, having support on radio? I think Probably. in Canada, definitely. I think Canada for sure. Um, yeah. It's 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 tough to like. It is tough to quantify because it's just like we see our rooms in America where we don't have any radio, and you can kind of glean that's like everyone here knows us from online or from TikTok or social media or something. And then you look in Canada, and it's just like there there's like there's there's so many factors that are just like, yeah. you know, radio is all, like. The, the markets where we do well in radio, we are playing to bigger rooms. I think there is a through line to that. How much of that is like a cause and effect, it's hard to tell. Um, but yeah, and like, yeah, the, the whole like not trying for radio thing is like such a, it, it's it's so interesting with us because it's just like we never sit down and write a song that's just like, we're going to be on the radio with this song. Like we're both, like Charlie and I grew up in like the mid 2000s listening to The Killers and The Strokes. Like it's just kind of like, it's it's just like a nice side effect of the music that we enjoy writing 
having that sensibility that it's works like julian that. casablanca but, saying i want this to sound like the exact opposite of everything that is currently on the radio right now and there's yeah. some kind of magic in that of i think it's like, impossible as an artist if you're trying to follow a trend uh the trend yeah. is already gone by the oh time God, that you yeah, even yeah, attempted yeah. At, at hitting it yeah the wave is cresting yeah. uh usually when people are jumping onto it it's yeah. like i thought like, about that with the pop punk revival yeah. you know i was like oh my god like no like what the hell are you people doing trying to write a pop punk song like yeah. olivia did it mgk did it it's over yeah that was my yeah. main thought during the pop punk revival i was like oh. does it also give does it give you guys though a slight like oh now the world is shifting into our wheelhouse a little bit here yeah guitars being back is nice that, yeah. that's ba- that's basically it i'll say yeah for sure but it's also like I just I just want to encourage any musician watching this to just make stuff from the heart and like rather than uh drive your car into the lane that's like um Perceived you know the, the moving, moving the it's fast. just not gonna work it's like Mr. Make, Beast says make, this all the time he's like I don't care that people copy me because they can they can do their very best version of copying me and they're never gonna beat me in my own game it's like just, you know, the only opportunity you have is to find your own you know your own lane and that's that's the only thing that you can do 100% it's, it, I think it's just so much more interesting and like when you think about the the culture and, and things artistically like um you're also just going to sleep better at night sort of being like i'm i'm creating something that um that maybe hasn't existed yet um rather than soullessly approaching uh something for like money that you're never going to get 100% has the way that you guys have recorded over the years changed from album to album like your actual uh, did you were you ever like totally live off the floor compared to multi-tracking? Do you have you tried different producers introduce you to different things, and now that's kind of opened up your eyes to different ways of recording, or have you had a fr- fairly consistent way that you like to do it from the beginning, or how has that kind of evolved? We've well, oh sorry, three different projects certainly, yeah. Like every everyone's been a little um, different through my life. Same with Mike, right? Mike, Mike oh, played. Yeah. All sorts of different bands and and R- you know R.I.P. Young Pacific. What a time! Exactly. But, and, um, but yeah, uh, with, with yeah, Hotel Mira, it's uh, we have we have a thing that works for us. Uh, we have tried with different means and stuff like that. Like there's a couple songs off the new record, like Silver Lake was recorded drums and bass live off the floor. Um, we haven't done like a full band live off the floor thing because I think knowing who we are as like like we like we as a band kind of self-produce as well. You know, like we like, we're all like kind of studio heads. So we kind of just know what we want to have happen to our sound. Uh, so it like, like, you know, like double tracking guitars and certain se- sections and like all that, you know, all that studio boring stuff for listeners who don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so like we have, we have a formula that works, but even with this next, next record, like I think, one of the things with I Am Not Myself is that it's very maximalist. Like, I feel like we did everything we possibly can do. Like, every, like, you know, like, no no stone was unturned on it. And I think for the next, next record, 
we kind of just want to like almost like a back to our roots sort of vibe and what that ends up looking like. Uh, I couldn't tell you because we haven't really gotten that far in the process yet, but we have sort of a bit of a vision that is uh, a little different than how we went about uh, doing I'm Not Myself. Do you go in with a North Star on what you want out of a record or are you going in with like, let's just record songs and kind of figure out, uh, you know, the sound or the theme or the vibe or whatever as we kind of get into the project? Uh, With this next one, we definitely have a North Star for it. Uh, With I Am Not Myself, we sort of, uh, it was kind of like per producer, I guess we had a bit of a North Star, like like kind of like a song by song, case by case basis. Probably also tough because you did it over such a long period of time. Exactly. Like, you know, the, the mission, like we always kind of go in with a mission statement, like kind of just like, like an overall arcing theme. Uh, but in terms of like, like, I think, I think the goal for I Am Not Myself was to make every song the best version of themselves that could be, uh, as opposed to like, like an overall album cohesion i think was maybe second priority and i'm not myself it was just like let's just make these songs the best they can be and like we'll figure how they flow together uh out later and i think we succeeded in that as well but like it wasn't like uh there wasn't like a concept uh not yeah. concept vibe. well james younger who produced king of the world uh wanted us to maybe like have a sentence that described like the record as we were sort of conceptualizing it. So like uh, Anthems for Aliens was just like mm-hmm. the sentence to keep in it's mind. It's a cool album title. Yeah. It would have been. Uh, we thought about it. Um, the log, if you're listening to this, you can buy it off us. Or a dope shirt, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. And then, uh, and like, but there were other ones like um, Fever Pitch, the the sort of like phrase that went with that was like uh, 4 p.m. at Coachella. Yeah, like main stage at sunset. That's cool. Sunset. Uh, Very visual. Yeah. Yeah, usually. And then, um, yeah, for, for Dancing with the Moonlight, we were talking a lot about like uh, David Byrne, but then also... Uh, the um yeah like the cure and uh yeah and then we and then there were just yeah there was just sort of like different phrases for every um Mm -hmm. song to try and keep in mind and uh and then yeah as a as a record it's just it's more of just like a collection of of um, great pop songs that almost feels like a mixtape. Yeah, I think I think th- this is like kind of like addressing a question like quite earlier on in the interview. But like when you s- talked about albums progressing throughout artist careers and stuff like that, and like sounds changing, like I do think albums as a whole, and why I'm like an album person is that it should represent a snapshot of like that time in an artist's life, right? And it's just like it's weird when artists are just kind of like, Oh, like this album from that came out in 2013 sounds exactly like this album that's coming out in 2024. And it's just like, Oh, so like you didn't change as a person, like your perspective was exactly the same and you just wanted to do the exact same things. So, but I think because we took so long to do, I am not myself, that's actually expressed over the course of just how the album was like recorded. 
they get multiple perspectives. Mm-hmm. It's a long time to go through your own thoughts. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. A couple last couple of questions for you. Um, I'm curious, uh, how does you like your merchandise work? Is that something that you guys, uh, you know, kind of head up and, and you're going through designs and you're figuring this out for online stuff versus tour stuff? Um, or is that kind of done by the label or, or how do you approach merchandise? Uh, same sort of thing with uh, like when I said, like they just kind of sign off on what we want to do. Like we have like mock-ups and stuff like that. Or like sometimes our manager will do like a quick mock-up of a shirt. We'll, we'll give an idea and see what's up and they'll make it happen. And who, who does all the fulfilling of that and, and, and whatnot? Uh, we do go with different companies depending on where we're going. Like, I don't know if you guys have, actually we should talk about this later, but taking merch across the border, it's like, it's a, it's a bit of a, bit of a minefield sometimes. So like if we have like an American yeah. tour c- coming up, uh, we get shirts printed in America. Sometimes like where the first date is like our, our last batch of shirts was in Atlanta. We printed in LA and Seattle as well. Uh, we, we, we aren't like, I, I'm sure there are like loyalties that I'm not aware of, but it's more mostly just like, Hey, like we got, we want these shirts made. Let's get them done. You're talking more specifically for tour. Oh yeah. Or just in general. Like I, I guess like, like how do you, like, how do you mean specifically? Uh, well, I guess for merch, for us, we have kind of two different, we view them as two separate things. So yeah. one would be tour, um, where we would usually use one company uh, to manufacture everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we would do drop shipments for different legs of the tour. Right. Uh, and then we did do a couple like uh, novelty products. Like we did these uh, like baseball jerseys. Uh, and those we couldn't find anybody in America to do them for less than 50 a bucks dollars. a shirt yeah, or something. Yeah. So we went overseas for that. So um, that we had to, I guess, find the facility or the manufacturing facility uh, overseas and then right. include that in our drop shipment to meet at the same time as the other shipment. So you're just like, again, as an independent artist, you're just like, holy fuck, man. Now I'm a, a logistics manager <laughs> yeah, trying that, to figure out how to get merchandise that. and also to, you know, to have the foresight and also, you know, record the analytics to figure out, you know, how much are we selling per head in each market? So I know how much to order on this tour and the next tour and where should the drop shipment meet us so we don't overload our van. Yep. Uh, so, you know, these That's are like, classic. and then you're worried about writing songs and, and trying to figure out, you know, how to put them out it's like uh that's i I feel artists often don't get uh, enough credit for uh how well-rounded i guess kind of the job has to be um and then online we view as kind of a totally separate uh business really uh and that we would uh we use one company uh they're from new york um called main factor and they do kind of all the production all the customer service and fulfillment so they have a fulfillment center i think it's in maybe Houston. That's um, But then they also have a global because we wanted to turn a store online in Europe. Um, so our two options were to go with one company like Main Factor, who's global, uh, or uh, but slightly more expensive, or you have to find like a piecemeal operation in each territory, which is just so much more to manage. So we ended up deciding with Main Factor. So they were able to create us another kind of European store. And they also have a European fulfillment center. Um, because the shipping prices were getting so out of whack that you had, you know, all these fans uh, overseas who wanted to buy merchandise, but the cost of shipping was more than buying a t-shirt. Yeah, um, we, we've experienced that as well. Like we have a pretty, we have, we have like a modestly active discord 
And like a lot of the European fans are quite, you know, like, oh, I wish I could buy this, but shipping's like 70 bucks. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, yeah. Especially with like also like this Australian thing coming up. Like we've talked about merch for that as well. And it's like, okay, like get shirts printed in Sydney or like what's the move? So that global distribution thing is really interesting because as of right now, we're just, uh, all our online stuff is just done through the label. Like gotcha. we just have like a, like a bulk amount of shirts at uh, at the offices and the e-commerce manager handles all the... Uh, they do all, all fulfilling, all customer service, all everything. Yeah. yeah. And they're sense. good at... They're, they're like, he does a great job. Uh, it's just like there is like the, the obvious obstacle of like we don't have a European store, you know? So that yeah. stuff get, gets into play. I, I sort of had some uh, curiosity uh, in regards to a couple things uh, that... Uh, um, y'all have been able to achieve i wanted to know about sort of the 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 branding uh animation i wanted to know about uh um spotify playlisting and i wanted to know oh, about, yeah. spotify uh, the dark arts <laughs> yeah uh, it's just voodoo uh, <laughs> um and then uh and then i wanted to know about um the uh yeah, the animation, the the branding. I guess animation um, for our first record at that time. I was I was producing videos um, for okay. different com- different companies, um, so that's what I was kind of doing as on the side. Um, so we when we did our made our first record, we kind of consciously knew we wanted to do a lot of video. I think we thought that YouTube was um, uh, just the wild west that you might be able to succeed in um so up front we decided we were going to commit to doing like probably five videos um so um i and kind of the partners i had at the time we kind of just self-produced the live action videos and that was a matter of like i'm sure you know you guys have probably done this too where you're you're literally going out you're finding locations you're making fucking chopping vegetables to have catering for the next day and uh you know whatever you have to get insurance for the shoot and it's just like throwing a wedding uh, hiring your actors. One thing that's nice in Vancouver is there's such a rich pool of actors that aren't are non-union, so it's it's it was fairly easy to get actors. Um, mm-hmm. So we did I don't know, maybe four or five different videos, uh, live action, and then um, we did one animated video because we found. Do you guys know Run the Jewels? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Killer Mike. He had a song called Reagan um, that was on his own solo work. Uh, that was this really cool, um, fairly political animated video. So um, we we thought it was really interesting. So we we kind of hunted down the the guy who did that video. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, could not find him anywhere online. Didn't have social <laughs> media. Didn't have a LinkedIn. Didn't have an email address that existed. We found him on like some Vimeo playlist or something that had like a way to contact through Vimeo. Uh, anyway, we sent him an email and we sent him a song and said, we love your work, man. Like, tell us a little bit about this, you know, Reagan thing. And he's like, Oh, I did that entire video myself as a one man show. And, uh, he liked the song and, and he was game, uh, to, to do the video. So, uh, he was, he was actually quite reasonably, reasonably priced. And, uh, so we, we decided to move forward with that. And, uh, it took him a, like a really long time. Like it's it's a it was a great piece of art, amazing piece of art, but it took him probably like six or seven months or something while he was doing all his other jobs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but once we put out we put out that song first, that video, and had no idea, didn't even have any expectations. We literally didn't have any goals either for you know what, what would happen or or whatever. And 
uh, yeah, put it on YouTube and we just started getting all these comments uh, that were like, you know, people were, were really digging um, kind of the song animation storytelling kind of uh, baby that was kind of happening. And um, kind of from day one, I, I was like, we have to be relentless on responding to fan comments. Like, mm-hmm. uh, we just absolutely cannot let a comment go by that doesn't get a personal response kind of inviting them to our Instagram page or to Spotify or whatever. Um, and I think that um, I was going to ask you this this after about types of fans, but um, our fan base, uh, they're, they're kids who are kind of the underdogs in the world. Uh, there were kids who were dealing with uh, a lot in their lives, a lot of, a lot of mental health uh, stuff going on, a lot of bullying, a lot of trying to find their way in the world. And so I think that that personal connection with them, uh, it really means a lot and kind of solidifying the, you know, kind of a relationship, I guess. Um, so I remember literally just going to a cafe and like hitting refresh on the page every two seconds and, and seeing the comments and, oh my God, there's a new one. Okay, respond. Let's give a thoughtful response to this guy. Uh, and then, you know, slowly but surely, you know, each each comment leads to someone else telling their friend about it. And we started seeing some growth on the video and um, yeah, YouTube, uh, you know, they, they kind of rewarded it. So um, out of the entire batch that we did, maybe five videos or something, it seemed that the, the animation um, really clicked with people. Um, so so then when we went to record our second record kind of shortly after, um, we said, Hey, why don't we try to commit more to this and, and make this a thing? Um, so we didn't, we didn't go with, uh, this guy, Harry, uh, because he, it took him a very long time. He was also going to architectural school and we were like, we just, we just can't wait eight months for a video. So, um, we're big fans of the band pup, um, from Toronto Uh, and, uh, we saw that they, I think it was. Dark Days uh, was an animated video. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great video. A really good that. video. Yeah, really yeah, yeah. good video. Um, so we saw that. The van. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything goes wrong and, and they hate Dang. each other and whatever. Um, so really like that video and I kind of looked it up and it was done by a Canadian company. Uh, so we reached out to them and their three siblings called the, the Solace siblings from Toronto. Uh, just wicked family, you know, really, really cool. And they had been kind of had this family business for kind of like 10 years. Um, we're very reasonably priced. So we decided to make them like a three video kind of package kind of deal or whatever. Um, so then, then the tricky part was, okay, animation takes a little while. It takes, you know, a month and a half per video. So how the fuck do we pick the right songs? Um, that's always the tough part because you're really committed once you're doing the video. So, um, we decided to uh, ask the fans, the limited kind of fan base we had. So we put together a list of like uh, 15 of the songs we recorded and and we picked like 50 people or something and said, uh, rank your top 10 and then your top three. Uh, and overwhelmingly, uh, a couple of these songs were number one and two by like a country mile. So we said, oh. all right. This is a this is a, a very small sample size, but we're gonna rock with it. Um, so we we did that. We rocked with those and uh, put out those three videos, and then one of them kind of just totally caught traction and and kind of went went viral really, and uh, it was it, it was really cool. It didn't happen immediately though. It was you know you put something out and you have all these hopes in the world and whatever you get a few thousand views on the on the first day and you're like fuck. Is it the wrong song? Did we do this or that? And then, uh, sure enough, something happens. Uh, you know, there was no TikTok moment or anything then, but something in YouTube, and then all of a sudden it was growing by, 
you know, 10,000 views a day and, and, and more and more. And it just, and then that took on a life of its own for two or three years. Um, and, and now it's been still our, our most popular song by far. And, uh, now we're always just trying to feel like we're chasing a dragon. Like we're, we're, <laughs> oh, we're yeah, trying, trying to, yeah, just trying to have a, another moment. No, that, yeah. Don't, don't. It's, I know, just, I know, just, I know, but just enjoy the success and make other cool shit. Like, <laughs> You yeah, know, that, that, and, that, and, and, that's that's so much easier on your psyche than like <laughs> you're you're right. You're right. Lightning strike twice. Just be yeah. like, we killed that. Yeah, that's gonna fucking subsidize the rest of our lives of getting to do what yeah. we want. And you know what? You're you're totally bang on. And I I think it took uh like a learning lesson to get there because I think for the longest time, you're every single thing you put out, you're trying to find any which way, shape, or form to kind of remanufacture a moment that had happened before and then you get disappointed and then you start looking at each other is how do we approach writing new songs and then yeah. i think we reached a point where of probably frustration that we said you know what fuck this we're parking Spotify analytics for a few months. We're parking fucking YouTube analytics and every single stat that we're following. And let's just focus on the North Star of trying to make the absolute best stuff that we can. That's from the heart that feels genuine and authentic. And and whatever happens is is going to happen kind of thing. And, also, and as you said, there's a there's a freedom in that. Also, I've seen clips of your shows. It's not like one song, like everybody's sitting on their hands until one song and then Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's also, I think, a fan base thing, which I was going to kind of ask you guys. um, You know, one thing you mentioned earlier that kind of stuck with me is that um, songs don't necessarily kill it for people upon first listen. And a personal story on this one, um, when you guys had put out Perfectionism and you were playing a show at the Biltmore, um, I bought tickets for my girlfriend and I to go to the show. And so I remember we were were driving to Whistler or something. We were driving back from somewhere. And so I was playing a bunch of the songs and she was kind of like, Nah, whatever like this is uh, this is whatever and i was like it'll be fun come on they, they put on a really good show so uh we went to the show and she was just like fucking loving it and then literally <laughs> oh, yeah. she's become like one of your top fans i swear <laughs> she was absolutely blasting that album for like it would be number one probably on her on her spotify and it's a it's a really good uh you know a good kind of case study and also the the live show can have such an impact on on converting people to new fans oh you got you got to be good live i i don't care i don't care you have to be good live yeah. yeah. Did that did that you're such a dynamic performer. Is that something that you uh, had from day one or is that something you consciously felt like, you know what, I'm I'm I have a, a person or a role model or a couple that I'm taking uh, tidbits from and I'm gonna create this persona. I met Charlie when I met Charlie, my old metal band opened for his first band in his very first live show, and I can confirm he has just been like that since day one. <laughs> awesome, man. You're just a rocker from uh, from birth. I, I have a different sort of point of view on it. I started uh, like my first gig period, like job, music job, whatever, was Beatles cover band at age 10. Um, and I was wildly uncoordinated and tone deaf. I was the third guitar player of the band, which tells you how much uh uh like you're the guy like side stage <laughs> they don't really showcase is actually not plugged in <laughs> <laughs> yeah almost almost sid vicious not plugged in um but when we played our first show people like pointed out that i 
like performed. Like I, I got into it and people liked watching that and nobody had ever really broke it down like that for me. And I was like, okay, I can't sing. I can't play guitar. I'm not writing songs yet, but there's something I'm doing on stage that people connect to. And so that was the reason people wanted me in their bands because whatever I'd, I'd, you know, I'd go for uh, it. I'd take my top off and jump in the crowd and try to get people into it in different ways. Like for everything I lacked in technicality, I made up for in passion. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you guys approach? Sorry, a couple more questions. I'm going to wrap up. I know know people's attention spans these days are like, oh, my God, it's been an hour. Um, Do you guys? Do you guys approach your live show um, with how much of it, I would say, is uh, like, I don't say choreographed or orchestrated uh, and how much of it is you guys like improvising in the moment? I would say the most pre-planned and organized that we have for our live shows is that we make a set list. And like, it's like pretty, like we, like there'll be time. So in in my old bands where it's like, you know, like I would be like, I, I played in metal bands. So you're always like headbanging and rocking around and moving on. And like the joke that I make is like, it's like, it's a shift for me being in Hotel Mira because like, I don't need to do that because Charlie is just so commanding on stage now. Right. So like, I'll just look over and I'll be like, Lucky oh, you. <laughs> Charlie's doing this. Right. So none of, none of it is like, there are, there are things like over time that evolve into like, okay, we could reliably like, like we have certain banter before, certain songs and it's just like but none of that's like really pre-planned like charlie will do it once one night and we'll be like oh that was sick we should do it again like sort of thing and so in terms of that it's like it's pretty on the cuff i think i think jack white said something about like if you tell the same joke one night in like cleveland and then you tell it again the next night in cincinnati like people just sort of notice they're sort of like oh that that wasn't that wasn't real for some reason. Like, and I've taken that to heart. So sometimes it, it, it results in me really not knowing what to say and maybe some confusing and, and, uh, uh, not very articulate banter, but you are getting a different show every night. Mm -hmm. It's a separate product. And I think that's sort of special. Um, I, I like to I think of it like doing a play and the songs yeah. the songs of the script every night and how I interact with people or the band or you know relive these moments and 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 have like the scene partner of an audience um is sort of the 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 secret sauce that I think that um makes it uh that one step more interesting yeah, and, and I then do... also it's just it's just being tight, man. It's just like the greatest gift you can give your band is like going on tour and like getting better. Yeah, yeah. also the confidence that you have when you know everything like the back of your hand. It allows you a lot more freedom. I think if you're if you're not prepared or you're not feeling extremely confident in you know being unbelievably tight, then I think that lack of maybe confidence even from the entire band shines through one hundred percent to the audience. Totally. And I do genuinely believe that anyone who sees Hotel Mirror Live does become a fan, like regardless yeah, totally. of like recorded music and stuff like that. So I think 
I think there's situation like you like I'm sure you've seen it a million times, and it's like a talking point in the industry where it's just like the majors are signing kids off TikTok who've never played a show because they have like four hundred thousand million followers, and then they flop on for a show because it's just like oh shit, I'm on stage, what's going on? Yeah, one hundred percent. Heard that story many, many, many times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll hear three more today before I go to bed. But, like, it's... Live is so crucial, right? And it's just, like, it's also, like, you know, like, I love the production of songs. I love turning... I love making something from nothing. But just, like, the, the... the adrenaline rush and the feeling you get from playing live is unmatched. Oh, you can't, you genuinely can't find it anywhere else. As as cheesy and stock as that sounds, like it's it's a big part about being a musician and like being in a like rock band too. So the fact that we can do that, I think, confidently quite well, and it's like a good part of our show or a good part of what Hotel Mira is. Is like yeah, totally. Great, I think playing well, live and writing are the two enjoyable parts of being in a band for me. Yeah, yeah. For a music industry podcast, it is playing live and writing that are the enjoyable parts of the music industry. I rank it differently from my perspective. I I go, uh, for me, I like I really like writing songs. I really like producing songs, and live would probably be third for me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Not not for the reason that I don't enjoy playing shows. I I I do, and when you're up there, I I love it. I love the energy you get from people. I love those pinch me moments where you're like, holy fuck, we're in. Warsaw, Poland, and there's yeah. 500 kids here. How the hell did that happen? That's so um, sick. Yeah, it's it's such a cool feeling. Um, but I will say, I think that maybe we just we went on four straight tours, like we did. We did uh, America, USA, America again. Sorry, America and USA are the same fucking place. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> uh, sorry, we went USA, Europe, right back to the USA, and then Europe again. Um, and by the end of it, I think we were all. Um, just run down. I think we were mentally, uh, it was really tough. We were getting sick a lot. Um, even though we were trying, no one in the band is really a party animal at all. We barely even drink. Um, but we were still just, you're getting no sleep here. You're trying to catch a plane, train, automobile to get here. Um, and I think after, you know, those four tours, it, it took me a few months to get my, my energy back and just my build up my immune system again and the you know the fire the fire in the belly again and you know for for myself at least I'm I'm someone who I, I really I'm an ener- energetic person I like to you know wake up every day and, and 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 try to kick ass or whatever and when you wake up and you're just feeling like oh fuck I don't know how the fuck I'm gonna do this uh, yeah. and then you just gotta find energy after a while to me I was like oh my god the thought of another tour right now is like I can't even think about that yeah, no, I definitely feel that. Like, I love touring. I love travel just in general. And, I, and I've done, like, some, like, not gnarly, but, like, you know, I've roughed backpacked before in, like, a person, like, for personal travel. So, like, yeah, yeah, touring yeah. sometimes feels like a luxury, believe sure, it or not. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I just remember, like, so we, we toured pretty extensively a big North American tour this year. And our very last show was in Red Deer, Alberta. So oh, classic. Yeah. Bose Bar, best rider in Canada. Nice. Um, but, uh, and... I just remember we got off stage and the four of us just like looked at each other backstage and we were like, we get to go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just like we a made gen- it. We did it. Yeah, like a genuine moment of like, I love like what what's the old like Phoebe Bridgers saying? The only thing worse than being on tour is not being on tour. Sure. Something like that. So it's yeah. like, I don't know. Like it, a a double edged sword in a way. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Last couple of questions. Um, who are your fans? If you had to summarize what types of kids, what age they are, are they male, female, uh, who are they? Um, I think 
uh, a lot of sort of just outcasts, uh, mm-hmm. just really cool artsy kids who are who are passionate about music and and film and um, and uh, the there's a real kindness and openness to these kids that uh, has been admirable and and the way that they get creative and process the music and show us things in it that we didn't think were there um, is amazing. Um, Older or younger? A younger. bit of both. I'm sh- yeah, younger for the most I part. I trained younger. But yeah, did you but, play all ages shows or were they uh, were they 18 plus? Or? We try to whenever we can. Like obviously it's easier in America than it is in Canada, as I'm sure you've experienced as well. Yeah. Um, but whenever we try to do all ages shows and like, like I like back... I'm, yeah, America's system for live shows with the X's on the hands is just yeah, infinite. way better. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it makes so much more sense. I, uh, I had someone jokingly once tell us that a Hotel Mira show is attended by um, alt Gen Z kids and farmers market millennials, and I okay. think that's like pretty funny. Which there you go. Like maybe uh, it's America. do they skew more male or female? Female, according to our Spotify, wow. male, but okay. uh, according to our live shows, female. So I don't know. It's hard to say. I think we're male, uh, like so much more male. Uh, yeah, yeah, the boys. Oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh, wild. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't we, even know. What, I, I just Europe, feel like Europe, I, Europe's different, though. We, we're we're more fifty fifty in Europe, but America is like I want to say seventy thirty dudes. Damn. Yeah, I, mean, I, sick, I, I just feel like I was about to get beaten up anytime that many boys were <laughs> yeah. looking at me. Oh, our, yeah. our fans are not those kids, man. Our fans <laughs> are not. They're like so polite, so respectful. If they like accidentally bump into somebody, they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. We've also, we, I always ask this question every night, like uh, who's, uh, whose first concert is this? And you'll see 35, 40% of the kids put up their hands. That's, uh, that's so cool. And, and so, but what you find is, or what I found, like the first few songs, they don't, they don't, totally understand how a concert works because they've right. never really yeah, yeah. been to one. So they don't understand the amount of freedom and, you know, it can be a very cathartic experience as well. But if you've never been to one, you're kind of like, Oh, what I do I, it. what do I do here? So it's almost like my job is almost to kind of lead them to their own freedom and their own sense of being able to have this kind of release. And then, you know, as you see a few songs go by and you start to see people like, Oh my God, I can do this. Like, wow, this is, this is so fun. Uh, I, I also crazy. I also want to speak to like that um, that non-binary kids and gender non-conforming kids um, are often drawn to the band as well, yeah. which uh, is a point of pride totally. for me to be making something that makes people feel like uh, they're invited um, because they're sort of you know it's there's a community there's community that you can belong in. in. There's an ongoing genocide, sort of, uh, um, that's happening against uh, trans people, um, and you know, bills every day um, being passed uh, against them. So I think it's it's really cool to uh, um, make music that um, that they're into. Yeah, and have a sense of community and a belonging and of acceptance, and yeah, yeah that's that's one of the. The great gifts of uh, of doing what we do. Absolutely. That's 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 what's special about our like. Really, for me these days, I think the thing that's the most special about our band is the people who are into our band. Mm-hmm. 
Totally. Because okay, last question. Last yeah. question here. I'm uh, curious on your. You guys have been uh, been in the the scene for a while, especially around Vancouver. So, Hot how, how do you how do you feel about kind of the Vancouver music scene, and how has it changed since? Ooh. I know you guys released your first EP in like 2013 or something. So, how have you? Was it different then compared to it is now? Uh, what? Wh- how is your feeling about it? It's it's tough. Like being in Vancouver is a very I think it's a very difficult city to be in. I think I think there's a lot of talented artists and a lot of talented bands here, but just like the infrastructure of the city doesn't really allow it. Um, just because like like we're just starting to get venues back for like a like for like a period between like 2016 and it felt like 2021. Like you could only play like the Biltmore and the Fox. Like it felt like the Cobalt shut down, which has now reopened graciously. But it's like and just the cost of living is very mm-hmm. tough. Like when like when I started playing shows in Vancouver ten years ago. It was like, it was crazy if we got to play the Biltmore. Like that was the goal, and now it now it's like the entry level gig because there's just like nowhere else. Like, like the media club going away is like, it, it sucked because it's just like a venue. It, like if you're a new band and you could put like forty people in a room and feel like a god, it like that's like such an empowering feeling uh, totally. for your confidence and when you're starting out, right? And like that just doesn't exist in Vancouver anymore. So I think there's like a million talented artists, obviously. Um, but as of the state of it right now, it's getting better. But I think there was like, we're just getting out of like a real dark period. It's a difficult place to cut your teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of have to forge your own uh, path and and sort of uh, come to terms that you might need to uh, get out um, and find your fan base elsewhere um but um i'll say that you know like kylie v is extremely talented they're from uh vancouver uh dust queen is uh is a vancouver artist devours whose shirt i'm wearing right now nice um there's no lack of talent and more people should go out and see bands live um and see local bands um and give give people a shot right like there's there's this sort of hipster nonsense where like people only want to align themselves to a band once they're gigantic yeah totally Mm -hmm. and like it's like safety in numbers kind of thing why the fuck would you do that like (laughs) um when you can see uh an incredible artist in like an intimate setting and and develop um you know a relationship with them that um could be for life and and uh and as human beings i think we're always searching for something new and exciting and it just trips me out that you wouldn't want to look in your hometown for that I would love to get like a think tank kind of thing in Vancouver for artists, um, especially artists who have, I guess, demonstrated a, um, you know, somewhat of a, a fan base or, or whatever. And where you can, you know, everybody can come together and really like get into the nitty gritty of how their operations kind of work and, and take tips from each other. And, and, and literally just by having conversations, there's, you can learn so much so quickly that it could take you a year to figure out on your own. You know, yeah. Um, I mean, I hey, feel like more I'll of that. Be, the, more, 
Yeah, I'll awesome. be there if you want me to. <laughs> awesome, we got one RSVP. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, fellas. Well, it's a it's a pleasure to to chat with you guys and kind of learn about you. And uh, if we're all in Vancouver sometime, it'd be cool to uh, to grab a coffee or something. Hell yeah, I would I would love yeah. to. All right, rock yeah. on. Okay, I'll be there in December. Yeah, nice. Uh, I owe Duran a beer, so we can make that work. Oh, okay, all right, all right, awesome. He's sitting over here, so I'll let no, him know. Tell him I say hi. 